0: Thank you for joining us today, whether you are part of the Lighthouse family, be it on site, with us weekly or tuning in online, we'd love to connect with you via our social media at Lighthouse Ely, it's on all our social media platforms, I hope this word encourages you and inspires you, enjoy the message. Uh, the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit has impacted on us and how we can impact the world with the Spirit of God. I think that's a good topic to talk about. And I always know if you talk about the Holy Spirit, one thing you can guarantee is the Holy Spirit's going to show up. But also because you're here, the Holy Spirit's here, because you kind of become that dwelling place of God's Spirit. Amen. In my first book, This is Luke writing this, we imagine, Theophilus. I wrote to you about all the things that Jesus did, what he taught from the beginning until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his sufferings, he presented himself alive to them by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. This, he says, you've heard from me. For John baptized with water, but not many days from now you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time that you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the times, the periods, the era in which the Father has set by his own authority, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing up towards heaven. Suddenly, two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee... Why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus who has been taken away from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. Amen. The Gospels, we know, proclaim that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the message that we hear from Scripture is as relevant as it was there today. I mean, if you didn't believe that the words of Christ were relevant for you today, one, you wouldn't read them, two, you wouldn't show up to church, two, you wouldn't dedicate your life to follow Christ and his words. So we all believe that. We all believe that, and we live in a modern world, a modern culture. Um, but even so, I think the words of Christ are just as important today and just as, as valid for us to dedicate our lives to, live our lives by and set the standard of living that we need to do today. The disciples, you can imagine, of that generation lived with an expectation of Christ's return. And perhaps every generation has lived that way. I was thinking about this. If I lived during the Second World War and all the terrible atrocities that were going on over uh, in Europe and in, in this country, we would have thought, man, this must be the end of the end times. This must be the end of end days. And I wonder how many generations have thought that. And our generation, we think that too. But I don't think that's a bad thing. I think living with that expectation... That Jesus Christ will return in my lifetime. And what is he looking for? Luke 18 verse 8 says he's looking for those who are faithful. Will I find faith when I return? So not that we get caught up on the dates and the times, because we know that's with our Father. That's with the Father's authority. That's not in our authority. But what we do know is we shall receive power from on high. And I thought, is Jesus avoiding this answer, this question? About the restoration of Israel? Is he avoiding that or is he actually really answering it properly? But do we live with that imminent imminent expectation of Christ's return? Like someone once said, look busy, Christ is coming. Are we looking busy? But if we are living with that expectation, how does that play out in our life? What decisions do we make today? What decisions do we make that affects our future in the light of the possible imminent return of Jesus Christ? You know, the, the wicked servant that buried his talents. You know, remember what he said, his defense or his excuse? The master didn't take that excuse. And what he had, even though he'd saved it, was taken away from him. And he said, he said, Master, I know you reap where you didn't sow, so I hid my talents. The master expected more of what he'd given those servants. And Jesus' expectation of his followers that they were to continue his mission, healing, restoring people, telling them about the kingdom of God. Jesus expected them to carry the same authority and the same endowment of power that he had to continue his mission further. And we know that from the book of Acts, which we're going we're gonna to get into the book of Acts and, and see how that played out in their lives and then take a reflection on how that plays out in our life today. We knew we know, just like they know, knew, that Christ was returning. And they were empowered with that purpose. And they had that understanding, didn't they? And having that understanding brings purpose. That's one of my first points this morning. It's being armed with the knowledge, same as those disciples. They understood their purpose within the kingdom. And years of questioning. This question wasn't the first time that they asked him. You know, he's talking about the promise of the Father, and they're thinking the restoration of Israel. They're thinking the kingdom is going to come now. And why would they not expect that? Because that's exactly what Jesus preached didn't he? He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's, it's literally as close as your hand is to your face. Their kingdom of God is here. And they were armed with this knowledge. And I think it gave that, under, that understanding, gave them purpose. That these disciples and us today are meant to share within this heavenly life and to be spiritually empowered. Additionally, we have a redeemed mind. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We are spiritually gifted, which Lizzie preached about wonderfully a couple of weeks ago. But there's this concept that we are meant to consistently bear fruits of a spiritual empowerment in in our life. And we maybe ought to check our temperature. Check your temperature. Are are you hot? Are you cold? Are you lukewarm? Are, Are you... Consistently demonstrating that Christ, his life, his nature, his love, his ability, his gifts, his spirit is working through you. And you know if it isn't. You know if it isn't. And there's so many emphases on the Holy Spirit's work. You know, Paul writes, doesn't he, He says there's a, a plethora of gifts of the spirit that are available for us. But there is one Spirit, there is one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one King who is King over all. And I think there are these gifts and whilst you know, they were empowered to, to be a witness, they also spoke in tongues. And that speaking in tongues I think was part of it, a part of them being able to witness to all the different nations that were around. I'm jumping to chapter 2, I'll have to get back to another one, we'll get to that. We'll get to speaking in tongues. We'll get to talk about that um, in the coming weeks. But what they did have is this empowered boldness that they went from hiding because of fear of what the rulers did to their Lord and King to stepping out in front of them, especially Peter. The transformation in Peter cannot be um, understood except that something powerful happened to him. that that his life completely turned around and changed and he was able to uh, preach the gospel and thousands, thousands came to know Christ that day. But we have that same power today and we're facing a generation for whom the message of Christ's kingdom seems to be dismissed easily. Perhaps people are too occupied with things that are going on in their life. Maybe they think it's not relevant to them today. Maybe they think, Well, I've actually rejected I know the message, I've heard the message, but actually I've rejected it. I've rejected God. I'm stubborn. I'm determined to live my own life and I'm not going to follow God at all. But I think those in the minority. I think if you've truly heard the message of God, message of Christ, you've truly heard the gospel, it has to present you with a decision. And that's a challenge for us as a church that we need to get a message out to this current generation that convicts them of sin, that convicts them of righteousness, that convicts them of judgment. And we can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. We we can't we can't do it. But where is the church's voice at this time? Perhaps we're not convinced of the depravity of sin and the evilness of sin and what it is to live without God and live without hope. Perhaps there's no conviction in the churches anymore. Perhaps the churches have compromised, trying to appease people, trying not to offend anybody. Perhaps we don't understand the consequences of living without hope and without Christ in this World, Or perhaps we're too worried about what people will think of us and we're living to please people rather than living to please God. Come on. I was reading, I was reading this book and I, I'll quote. This is Oswald Smith and I think he wrote this in 1922. So a little old-fashioned, maybe out of date. But he says this. You've read the book. He says, ah, oh, Yes. Men have forgotten God. Sin flourishes on every side, and the pulpit fails to grip. I know I can know nothing less than the outpouring of his spirit that can meet this situation. And I think the only way that we can defeat darkness isn't by coming alongside to befriend the darkness, as if, <laughs> anyway, um, the only way to defeat darkness is to shine the light. And darkness has no, has no answer to it. But how do we do this? We have to be filled with the manifestation of God's Spirit, to be filled with the oil. That's the virgins that were waiting for them for the Christ to return, for the King to return. The wise ones kept burning bright kept burning bright, and we want to be those wise ones that keep shining bright to stop the corruption that's in this world, to be that salt that perver- preserves against corruption. And it's just as important today as it was then for those Christ followers to live in a way that showed that they were the witness. And the only way we can live that way is been by filled with the Holy Spirit. I tell you, if we're no different to the world around us, if we compromise on biblical standards or we love the things of the world more than we care about Christ and his mandates and his commands. You know, the tough talk we had last week spoke of being lukewarm. And I think that was a wake-up call for the church. Lukewarm. He says, I'd rather you be hot, or I'd rather you be cold. And I always think of that, you know, in, in the church in Laodicea where it's written to they had these hot springs. Um, or the neighbors had the hot springs. Great for washing. Hot water is great for washing. You can do lots with it. Cold water, also fantastic. Lovely to drink, you know. So hot is a good thing, cold is a good thing, but lukewarm is is good for nothing. I think of that like my coffee um, that my wife brings to me every morning that's always lukewarm for some reason. (laughs) She says it's hot, but you know, I don't know about that. Ice coffee. How many ice coffee? Ice coffee? Yeah. How many hot coffee? How many lukewarm coffee? That. Let's not be lukewarm. I do appreciate the coffee in the morning. It's never happening again, I tell you. <laughs> oh dear. What have I done? You know, I think, I think that lukewarmness, I'm trying to bring it round now. <laughs> trying, to, trying to get out of this one. You know, if we live today without the conscious flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives, you know, we live without that evidence of the Holy Spirit. You know, maybe that's why so many today are lacking focus, lacking direction. You know, people, you know, perhaps that's why we're not effective in soul winning. You know, perhaps that's why we're not, bringing people to Christ like we should be. and I, th- I think that's a wake-up. That's a wake-up. Wake um, I, was, I was reading the same book, The Revival We Need, Oswald Smith. And it says, churches, you have so many activities, but you're not winning souls. And I was sitting in the office, and I was planning, ironically, all the summer activities. <laughs> I was like, look at the board. Just look how many activities we've got going on. And if any of those aren't about soul winning, then what are we doing? What are we doing? We're soul winning, right? We are. But we're telling people you're coming to shoot archery or something, whatever we're doing. But we're soul winning. I think how far has the church moved away from the conviction of the Holy Spirit? How much have they compromised without realizing And anyway, reading the 12 rules of the early Methodist church. Have you ever read this, John Wesley? I was struck upon the fact that they aimed and looked upon soul winning as their supreme task. This is a quote from the 12 rules of early Methodism. You have nothing to do but save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent on this work. It's not your business to preach so many times, but to save as many souls as you can, to bring as many sinners as you possibly can to repentance. And with all your power, build them up in that holiness with which they cannot see the Lord. With which they cannot see the Lord. That is John Wesley. I think the Holy Spirit wants to bring his word to us as relevant today as it was then. I think we can bring the souls in by the hundreds and by the thousands, as well as by the ones and twos. But could it be the reason why the church today is lacking and not prosperous in this because we haven't depended upon the Holy Spirit in a way that perhaps they did in the past? John Wesley. No, not John Wesley. Charles Spurgeon. How about this one? If we had the Spirit sealing our ministry, With power in it, it would signify very little about talent. Men might be poor and uneducated. Their words might be broken and ungrammatical. Grammatical, thank you. What a word to trip up on. (laughs) But if the might of the Spirit attended them, the humblest evangelist would be more successful than the most learned or most eloquent of preachers. It is, not extraordinary. it is extraordinary power from God, not talent that wins the day. It is extraordinarily spiritual unction, not mental power that we need. Mental power may fill the chapel, but spiritual power fills the church with soul anguish. Mental power may gather a large congregation, but only spiritual power will save the soul. We need spiritual power. This question about the restoration of the kingdom, Jesus was constantly asked, but he says it's not about the time, it's about the power. It's about the Spirit that's going to bring the kingdom of God to, to earth. We need this power. We need this power. You know, and Christ, he has all the authority. That's my next point. Christ has all the authority, says this Matthew 28, and I'm giving it to you. For what? So you can put on a nice coffee morning. So you can do a nice social event. Now I'm giving you the power to be my witness. And this is the claim of all the spirit texts in the New Testament. That Jesus was meant to exercise authority on earth through his spirit-filled people. And the spirit of God himself gives us this Authority, this courage, this hope, this boldness to be a witness to his sovereign rule. You know, we have the king's coronation. And so many worried about whether he's going to be of all faiths or one faith or the church, and I'm thinking, well yeah, let's honor the king, but there really is the only one king. There is only one king of kings and lord of lords. There is only one that has all the authority. And he, uh, according to Ephesians, has seated us together with him in heavenly places. Where is he seated? On the throne. Where are we seated? With him. And we need to continually remind ourselves what it, what it, what it means to rule and reign with him. Not that we're bossing it and lording over other people, but we are extending his kingdom by being his agents by the, by the spirit in this world. That God plans to unveil his wisdom and he wants to use the church to do it. He says, I want to surprise the principalities and the powers of this world with the wisdom of God, with the understanding of God. And who is going to call to account? the king, the parliament, the MPs? Who's going to call them to account if the church has no voice, if the church is no different to the world around us? Understanding our mission brings us purpose. I wonder how many are living today without that hint of purpose or understanding why they're here, what their mission is. And we have a mission like those disciples, a mission that's that's ready for our day, but our task remains the same, to embody and to proclaim the Spirit of God, saying to the world, to the rulers of this world, by way of critique, calling them to account, calling them into wisdom and understanding. As, as Christ followers, we're meant to bring the kingdom here, which means extolling the rightful king on his throne with his authority. And we are called to... Not the world standards, but heaven standards. We who believe Jesus Christ truly is the king of this world need to act as his agents and call these into account. We cannot stay silent, especially at a time like this. And we have an opportunity. There's so many people are just fed up with empty words. They're so fed up with deception and lying from those who pretend to be in charge when you know they're just deceiving us. The world is sick with anxiety and depression. The world is fed up with these empty words and virtue signaling. It's fed up with being anxious and depressed, and it's crying out for some good news. I believe we need to see the anguish and the pain that's in the world and reach out to them with the answer. Jesus said, he looked at the crowds, didn't he, in um, Matthew chapter 9, he was around the cities and the villages proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, curing every disease and every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. If that isn't an indictment upon our generation, and I don't know what is. So what was Jesus' answer? He says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. In other words, there's opportunities. You know, we can look at the world around us and think, oh, my word, they've gone to hell. You know, they're, they're, they're helpless, they're hopeless. And what chance do we have? And what an evil, wicked world we live in. Or can we look at it with opportunity? Opportunity. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are a few. Isn't that the truth? Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The witness of the church is to present the kingdom, which means his lordship and his rule, the rule of the ascended Lord. And we're meant to live with faith, hope, with love. And putting into practice those things that Christ has called us to and, and live differently, like the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, that, that we're meant to live differently. We're meant to live with charity and chastity and patience and prudence and joy and justice. We're meant to be those giving life, looking for creative ways to bring in the kingdom of God here to earth, to our generation proclaims that Christ is king, that Christ has the authority. And the whole life of the church and our outward-looking life of the church, especially in our generosity, in our justice, in our compassion, to speak with conviction, to bring healing, to bring wholeness, to bring restoration, to bring good news message that is so people don't desperately need to hear it, and we have it. I'll close with this. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus is a great book. It talks about how, where we're seated in heavenly places, how we can stand, and how we can walk. It pretty sit stand walk. It covers all those areas. He writes to the church based on the understanding of the working of the Holy Spirit that the gospel is what we need to bring the world to Christ, to make known to the powers of this world to those who are in charge. Who has all the authority? He says, I've, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me and the working of his power. Although I'm the least of all the saints, the grace was given to me to bring the good news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see the plan of the mystery hidden in ages. Here we go. Let me read that. we got this one on screen. God who created all things so that the church, so that through the church, the wisdom of God in all its richness or all its variety might be made known to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. You know, it's the church's job to stand up, to be counted, to make known. We have the wisdom of God. And that wisdom of God comes through his Holy Spirit. So he's given us the boldness, he's given us the words to speak, he's given us the power, and and he's given us the authority. And it's our job to restore his kingdom. So in answer to the question, when will the kingdom of Israel be restored? When will the rule of Christ fully come and the last enemy be destroyed? Now we don't know the time, but we know it's coming. In the meantime, our job is to let the world know the wisdom of God, and it's being made known by the church. This is my challenge today. Are you ready? Are you ready? Is your lamp burning bright? Are you consistently filled and being filled with the Holy Spirit? And how do we do that? How do you do anything? How do you get anything from God? Anyone know how do you get anything from God? Ask. And then you ask and you have to believe. Believe. So let's ask. Let's just do that. Close our eyes. Let's ask. And we ask with an expectation that our lamp will be filled with that oil burning bright. That we're no longer compromised or corrupted. But we are filled with the Spirit of God living as a witness for Christ. Do we know that we are God's chosen people, that we're born again, not of corruptible but incorruptible seed? Do you know that we are God's chosen people, that royal priesthood, that we've come to trust in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory? Is our faith and our hope set on God? Have we purified our souls through obedience to his truth Do we have genuine love of God in our hearts overflowing to the world around us? Have we been born anew? That's a question for us this morning. Have you been born again? Have you given your life to Christ? Have you repented of your sin and left that old life behind? Have you been born again through the living, enduring Word of God? Have you been filled with power from on high? Are you living the heavenly life? If you're feeling challenged this morning, I say, amen. (laughs) Let's be challenged. I was reading this in 1 Peter. It says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's own people in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I urge you as aliens and exiles to to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against your soul, that you conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that they may not malign you as evildoers, that you may be honorable in your deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. 1 Peter 2, he, he didn't hold back, did he, Peter? He says, rid yourselves of malice guile, insincerity, envy, slander. But like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow into salvation. Indeed, you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So what's the conclusion here? What's the challenge? Be born again. There's a spiritual new birth available here. And it's a conscious decision, and it's not just because you go to church. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian, just like if I sat in the garage, it doesn't make me a car. <laughs> Be born again. I was going to pray again, but we prayed, didn't we? Let's have the band come up, and we're going to worship, and then I'll come back and pray. But think about these things. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean for Christ to be King of kings? When is Christ going to restore the kingdom? You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Amen.